Hey guys, Reed Goosens here. Now before we dive into today's show, I quickly want to tell you about some exciting things happening in 2018. Now in a few months time, I will be launching my brand spanking new book appropriately titled Investing in the US, The Ultimate Guide to US Real Estate. And it is all the best bits from this show transformed into a book. Now, As you are all loyal listeners on this show, we are doing a pre-launch book giveaway. So what you have to do in order to participate in this pre-launch book giveaway is just shoot me an email. It's pretty simple. At info, that's I-N-F-O at readgoosens.com. And in the subject line, you can put the words Kraken book. And in return, I will shoot you back a link where you can go and pre-order your copy of my new book. Now remember, in that link, there will be an area where you can put the code Kraken, C-R-A-C-K-I-N, and that will enable you to get a discount. I want to thank you all for tuning in. The reason why I do this show is because of my loyal listeners, and this is a way of me giving back to you guys by helping you. You can pre-order the book and get it for free before we launch in a couple of months' time. All right, now back into the show. Provide them with a clean, affordable, you know, these are great. We're buying in A and B areas in the markets that we're in, but they're like the low cost leaders. So really provide them with, you know, a good place to live that they can feel comfortable. In. And I, I like these older buildings because they have like larger unit sizes compared to the newer buildings and more amenities. They're less dense. Um, so that's been our, our specialty. And um, we call it, we call it run it like a Honda, which means take good care of the buildings, you know, but don't over improve because you don't get that extra pop in the rent. So, which the people are thankful that we, they have this good place to live that's affordable. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S. podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the U.S., how they've created financial freedom, massive amounts of cash flow, and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Keith Wasserman. 
Keith is the founder of Gelt Incorporated and in 2008, he started his company and in just 10 short years, he's grown it to over a billion dollars in assets, mainly in multifamily, mobile home park uh, infrastructure and assets. Really impressive uh, that he's grown it to 10, uh, sorry, to a billion dollars in 10 years. He's also started uh, Happy Homes Community, Jamuso, Gelt VC and Gelt Foundation, a nonprofit that helps renters avoid eviction during unexpected financial troubles. I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show to share his incredible experience and obviously his journey. But enough out of me, let's get him out here. G'day, Keith. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Reed. I'm, I'm excited to be on here. Well, mate, it is. I'm excited to have you on here. When I met you a few weeks ago, probably a few months ago now, um, at the Rod Cleef show, I was blown away. I, I saw this, you know, relatively young guy on stage. I think you had some some Etnies shoes on, and all of a sudden, I hear that you uh, you have a billion dollars in assets. That's incredible. I was like, I have to talk to this guy. So uh, I know you're going to provide some absolutely cracking insight into into your your journey. But before we do get into that, uh, can you rewind the clock and tell us how you made your first ever dollar as a kid? Yeah, yeah. So. Um I've always been very entrepreneurial and in my household, we didn't really talk about, you know, movies and sports and we were always talking about business and, you know, my, my parents really helped me when I was, I think eight years old, I started, we went to Costco and we bought boxes of candy bars and then I would go to the park and sell them one by one to, you know, all the children. And that was my first experience about learning to make money on the buy, buy something wholesale and then, you know, sell retail. And, um, I took that experience and when I was uh, 13, I had my bar mitzvah. I started investing all my bar mitzvah money and, and really learning to, you know, invest for the, for the future. Um, when I was 16, I bought a hundred leather jackets. My dad gave me a loan for a thousand dollars and one of my dad's friends that was in the clothing business taught me the skills of how to negotiate and how to not be afraid to ask, you know, for what I wanted to pay for these things. And, we negotiated and I bought them for only $10 a piece. They were leather jackets that retailed for over $300. And the reason I got them so cheap is they were all um, IRs, irregulars, meaning they had some little blemishes or little, little stuff that if you look closely, maybe you would see. But, um, you know, I bought them for $10 and I sold them for around $80 to $100. And, you know, it was so much fun. My, my, even though my whole car smelled like, like a leather jacket, you know, um, you know, it was, was it wasn't easy, you know, having, bringing girls, uh, you know, on dates with a car <laughs> full of leather jackets, but, uh, I would sell them to all the, the students and their parents and the janitors and the teachers. And, you know, another, you just taught me how to negotiate and make money on the buy. Um, you fast forward to when I was uh, 18 and starting college, I learned about eBay. This was 2003 and I sold a family friend's item. It was like a used horse saddle that they gave me and they said, go sell this on eBay. And I said, okay, I didn't know what eBay was. I looked into it and it was awesome. It was an auction where we started the pricing, the bidding low and let it bid up and I couldn't believe how, the, how much this used horse saddle went for like $150, $200 when it was something laying in their garage. So I started selling my own items on eBay, then started buying items, you know, in downtown LA and I went to auctions and then I built a whole business on eBay. We sold around 200,000 items all through my four years in college. Wow. I, would, I would go to China and buy containers of clothing and electronics and DVDs and all kinds of general merchandise. And all through college, I ran a business. We had a warehouse in the San Fernando Valley here in Los Angeles, around 5,000 square feet. We had 13 employees. And um, yeah, it, I outgrew my, my, my parents' house. We had no room to put anything anymore. So I got kicked out, you know, which is a good thing, and started paying real rent and uh, scaled that business. And I, um, you know, I, I graduated from USC, University of Southern California in 07. Got my broker's license in 2008 for real estate. Didn't know 
what I wanted to do in the, in the space, but really wanted to learn more. My parents, um, my dad's an attorney, but had some real estate investments. And I knew that he always told me, don't be an attorney, even though he's a successful attorney. He's, you know, you, there's only a certain amount of hours in the day you could bill. And he's made probably more money in real estate um, than in his law firm. So wow. I started small and, you know, I bought a little four, four unit building in Bakersfield, California, which is an hour and a half to two hours north of LA. It depends on how fast you drive. <laughs> um, and then uh, we, we got it with an FHA loan. So uh, my, my partner, who's my cousin, was an independent consultant and, you know, claimed he could live in one of the units and put it all in his name, the utilities, you know, just whatever we needed to do to get into the game and put only 3% down or whatever it was, two and a half to three, I forget. Wow. Um, $150,000 purchase. So we put only like, you know, four or five grand down. We, we got a cash advance on our credit card of $10,000. At that time, you could do that. And then we borrowed $5,000 from a friend. And that's what bought us our first uh, four unit building. Um, and then we bought another four unit, four unit building. I put the down payment. Um, my cousin got on the loan. Um, and then we sold like 49% of that LLC to an investor because we created value. We bought these as REO buildings. We renovated them, fixed them up, increased their value, sold them 49% of that LLC that owned those two. And then we bought a few more of these little fourplexes with that money. And yeah, we just started scaling and meeting more investors that participated in our deals. And we, you know, started just growing organically. Uh, the first year from oh, December of 08 to December of 09, we bought 15 fourplexes. We were like the biggest buyer of these kind of fourplexes in Bakersfield. There were so many REO, you know, banged up buildings that were just people lost through foreclosure. And we realized there's, there's a real business model here. We, we made some friends that were, you know, in the business and we started buying bigger buildings by putting a smaller group of investors together. So one full year later, December of 09, we bought a 78 unit building in Bakersfield, California called Vernon Vista. We bought it for 3.9 million. Um, and we put maybe $300,000 into the property, uh, renovated all this, you know, all the siding, the fencing, you know, the added, there was a second clubhouse that was just shuttered and not open. We turned, turned that into a gym, new washers and dryers, new clubhouse, just really brought life into the building and lifted the rents in the process and did really well for the investors. We ended up selling it for six and a half million a few years after that. And wow. They made great cash flow along the way. And yeah, I just sort of got addicted to, you know, looking and hunting for deals and real estate's great. You could like take care of the buildings and see them improve and evolve and we, uh, we've built this business over the last nine years, uh, one building at a time and one investor at a time. It's a syndication business model. We have almost 600 individual investors now um, that are you know, all accredited and part of our network of investors. We call it part of the Gelt family. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, we've, we just crossed the 1.25 billion now of acquisitions and um, you know, about between apartments, around 7,500 apartments and around 1,000 mobile home park sites. So wow. we are definitely growing and um, it's, it's getting tougher out there in this environment to find deals, but we're still, you know, trying to zig when other people zag and find opportunities that other people don't see and stuff. So, so yeah. from, from, from leather jacket salesman to <laughs> over 1,000 mobile home park sites and 75 apartment communities, I'm assuming across the country, right? Yeah, so um, apartments are Colorado and West. However, we are in contract to buy a 588-unit portfolio in Texas and San Antonio. So we are moving our way east into Texas. And then on the mobile home park front, we're not as picky on geographic locations because it's just very hard to break into that space. Not a lot of stuff trades. And um, we are in Pennsylvania and uh, Alabama in addition to some West Coast states. So we are, um, I'd say apartments, we're focused on now Texas and West and uh, mobile home parks, we're, we're pretty agnostic. As long as it's like 100 or 200, preferably 200 spaces and larger, um, right. 
you know, we'll look at it. So. That, that's that's an absolutely incredible story of what how you've scaled so quickly. And what the first burning question that comes to my mind is how much of your success has been dictated to market entry at the right point, given that you entered the market in 2008, you said December 2008 and in 2009, you put your first multifamily under contract. And now, you know, the re- as I said, the rest is history. What, what, what level of would you, you know, the, the growth that you've experienced, how much have you put that on entering the market at the right time? I'd say a really high percentage has been because we've been able to um, produce really good returns. We, we, I never wanted to sell any buildings, but we sold some to create a little liquidity for ourselves, but also to create the track record where the investors will then give that money back to us and then tell their friends and family. Right. That's what's enabled us to grow. Um, I'm sure we would have grown in any kind of market, but I think having a solid bull market where rents have gone up a lot and you know it's been a great time, you know, you've seen cap rate compression. I think that has attributed to the the, the, the speed at which we're scaling, but um, you know, and I'm just, I was at the right place at the right time during this era, but every so often there's a recession. I mean, it's like very cyclical. So right. before this one, there was, you know, 2001 was a recession. And then before that one, you had the early nineties. And before that one, I mean, sure, I'm sure every so often, you know, probably over the last hundred years, there's probably five to 10 recessions, you know? So, right. um, I say, I always say the best part, best time to start is now. And, um, you know, it, we have long term horizon and we, we've really coached our investors to look for the long term. It's like, Warren Buffett adage, um, you know, just buy for the, and hold for the long term. And, um, you know, it's uh, time and inflation are, are real estate's best friends is what I learned from one of my wealthy mentors. So, <laughs> No, uh, you're completely correct. Time and inflation. If you have time on your side, you know, your real estate's going to go well. So of that, are you buying, with that, with that in mind, are you buying a lot of your assets with the, the adage to hold for 7, 10, 20 years time? Yeah. So, we put on usually 10 or even up to 12 year fixed rate debt. Most of it's Fannie and Freddie uh, loans. And we, um, we do try to get as much interest only period as we can. Um, it's a fixed rate for that duration. So we don't want to, we're, we're a very conservative shop. We don't want to worry about interest rates rising and having a loan, you know, float floating or coming due in a short period of time. So we, we know what our, our, our interest rates can be every month for the next 10 to 12 years, which is really cool. Um, I think we'll be able to waive any, any storms with with that in mind. Plus we also raise a lot of extra money up front, which will lower the cash and cash and the total return to the investors, but at the same time, give us that security that in case the rents drop significantly or an occupancy drops, we'll, we'll be able to make the mortgage payment and not go back to the investors and do a capital call. And we haven't had to, you know, ever do that, but I'm sure in the future we'll have to halt distributions if the next recession comes and, I mean, the last recession, you had markets like Phoenix got hit like 20% from peak to trough, the rents drop. So, you know, if we stress test every deal, but we keep ample reserves and, uh, you know, try not to over leverage. Like we've pulled out some money on deals, but not gone to the max proceeds, for example. We're, we're pretty conservative and we're, I'm only 33. I'm looking to do this for, you know, give it to 100, 100 God willing. So, uh, you know. well, well, it's interesting that you say that, like only putting the agency debt on it. Uh, have you ever put any bridge money on it um, in the last 10 years as you've grown? We've done probably three bridge loans. And the the reason we haven't done many is the, the deals we've been buying historically have been like modified value add or light value add. We're spending three to 10,000 per unit on renovation. Um, the bridge loans obviously are shorter term. So you have that interest rate risk. Um, we've done it on deals that are local here in LA and that have huge upside where, you know, one deal, the rents were averaging a thousand dollars and 
you know, we totally retented the building and now that it's like $2,500 or something. Right. So, you know, something where we wanted, but mostly it's um, long-term fixed rate, Fannie Freddie, not, not too many bridge loans. Got it. Got it. So I want to get into the meat and potatoes of, and we've sort of already got into the meat and potatoes, but I want to really dive into and pick your brain about how you've grown your business to a billion dollars in assets and maybe some of the, the hurdles that you've had to overcome throughout that, that, that process, because a billion dollars in anything, whether it's real estate or, you know, um, washing washing machines, because I'm sitting next to my washing machine right now, it, it, it's a, you, there's growth, right? And with growth, being a young guy, how have you navigated those waters? And, and I guess what's been the sort of maybe two or three things that you've taken away, lessons learned, issues that you've come across that's really have made you grow as an entrepreneur, but also as a leader? Yeah, I'd say, um, you know, I think we've been able to scale to this point. Uh, one is by being transparent and honest and open with our investors and always available. Um, whenever an investor calls, I always call them back within 24 hours. Um, whether I'm here or on vacation or, I mean, they're the golden geese without investors. We wouldn't have the golden eggs. We wouldn't have a portfolio. We wouldn't have, you know, same thing as like tenants. I say without residents, we wouldn't have, you know, buildings that right. cash flow. So those are all very important ingredients to our success. Um, I'd say other important ingredients are having the right team, you know, having people that are dedicated and smart and intelligent and make good decisions and learn from their mistakes. And um, we're, we try to empower all of our, staff here and all the property management companies we work with and really sort of partner with them to make them feel, you know, as our partner in, in these, um, you know, deals. Um, I'd say having, um, but the most important things like having good partners and that are, have the same principles and same values and are aligned with the same interest and have the same vision. Um, I think that's really important too. So, there's a lot of things that create the success, I think. So have you created your business around any values or any sort of mantra that has helped you? You know, obviously empowering employees is really important, but do you have sort of maybe one or two or three sort of um, key notes that you sort of, you know, we, we are here to serve or, you know, um, enrich people's lives or whatever it might be that you run your, you know, your business off from day to day? Um, yeah, I'd say, you know, for the residents, provide them with, a clean, affordable, you know, these are great. We're buying in A and B areas in the markets that we're in, but they're like the low cost leaders. So right. really provide them with, you know, a good place to live that they can feel comfortable. In. And I, I like these older buildings because they have like larger unit sizes compared to the newer buildings and mm -hmm. more amenities. They're less dense. Um, so that's been our, our specialty. And um, we call it, we call it, run it like a Honda, which means take good care of the buildings, you know, but don't over improve because you don't get that extra pop in the rent. So, which the people are thankful that we, they have this good place to live that's affordable. So right. um, I'd say, and then giving back has always been a big part of our mantra. And we, you know, formed that um, 501c3, which we're in the process of forming our board right now. And my, my partner and I, Damien, we're covering all the uh, costs. So um, we're, we're spending around, you know, for the full-time staff and, uh, it's, it's only one full-time employee, but, and then a couple part-time plus some interns and account, well, like 125,000 a year we're, we're spending every year and any monies that we bring in, um, will, uh, go out directly to those in need. Like I said, it's for people that are at risk of, um, uh, eviction due to financial crisis. And we've already given 33 uh, grants and, the secret sauce we have is we have relationships with a lot of different management companies and owner self managers, and they help identify residents in their portfolio that they want to keep that have been there at least nine months that have been responsible renters, but have fallen upon a hard hardship financially. 
and we've had some great stories and we're, we're trying to elevate the, the level of like, you know, the landlord's always seen as like the bad landlord that keeps raising rents, but I want to elevate our image and we're creating like a association of responsible landlords that will ha have this program on the properties. And our long-term vision is not, is to deploy rental assistance to thousands and then tens of thousands and maybe hundreds of thousands of people um, nationwide and eventually maybe get some government funds behind it. Um, because I think the way uh, rental assistance is deployed now is, is pretty broken. So um, I think uh, that's the long-term vision for our foundation, but we've always been giving back to the communities we're investing in and involved in the, uh, boys and girls clubs, you know, that, that are local, um, just really trying to give back. And I like giving back in the apartment space, which is cool because that's the business we're in. So Yeah, no, it, it is. And I think it gives you a higher purpose, right? Rather than just going out and buying a bunch of assets and jacking up the rents and not actually giving anything back and not giving a, a damn about your, your, your tenants. Cause as you said, yeah. part of, part of the special source is having investors and they're the golden geese. The other, the other golden geese are actually the tenants and having yep. tenants who want to stay and take good care of your property because they trash the joint and you've got to keep spending three grand every year to, yeah. to, to turn a unit. It can become quite costly uh, after yeah. a period of time. And, and, and the, fi the, the foundation's been a win-win because it's a win-win-win. It's a win for the landlord, obviously, because they, it'll prevent an eviction or a skip. It'll prevent, you know, the repair and maintenance to the unit, you know, the turn turnover and any downtime the unit will have. I mean, you, it could be ten thousand plus dollars, um, you know, which on an I mean, it's it's un, Ill, invaluable, and uh, it's a win for society because we, we believe some of these cases, a lot of the people could have been homeless. Um, some of them already were planning to go to like a, a homeless uh, station, and we've helped a lot of veterans, and you know, just it's pretty cool. Like what, that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. And are you are you going out and actively raising like doing foundation dinners and stuff like that, and speeches and events to to raise capital for it? Yes. So so far. Um, we've raised money from people we do business with. So any of the brokers, we try to get them to contribute, you know, depends on the size of the deal, five, $10,000, um, or more. And then like some of the mortgage brokers and the, you know, the, the insurance people we do business with and some of our investors and yeah, but long-term we're, we're looking to eventually get some family foundations involved. And then, um, at the, at the city levels, you know, try to get some you know, federal dollars in and stuff. But um, for now, just grassroots movement, you know. And that's different to the happy home communities, correct? It's, yeah, it's that's just the mobile home park. Um, that's the name of our mobile home park. Uh, uh, got it. <laughs> and for, for all intents and purposes, it's all part of GELT, but like I wanted a separate name just in case we did eventually take maybe an institutional capital or went a different route with that um, venture. But for now, we're still syndicating those deals with the same investor base. Um, but it just, we call it, that's just the name we call it. Nice, nice. I want to um, get in. Um, fantastic that we're talking about your foundation, but I do want to uh, pick your brain a little bit about scale and, and, and business uh, ecosystems because having a billion dollars worth of assets, even, you know, I, I own uh, not quite as much in one day maybe, um, but the, the fact is you can already see, and I talk a lot about on the show, business ecosystems. So how do you create other you know, profit centers for your business that are more recession proof, like property management or sourcing directly from China, you know, products, because you've already had experience with that. What have you brought in house? And, and I heard you mention that you're still partnering with third party property managers. Is that across your portfolio? And do you ever see it bring coming in house to create more business ecosystems to keep the lights on? We've intentionally not done property management. And the reason is it's just, very people intensive and I feel like I wouldn't have been able to scale as quickly if we had the property management because there's continuous turnover, continuous issues. I, the, the biggest problems in business I feel are always the people. So 
I, I'd rather try to limit the number of staff I have and, um, you know, pay, I'm, I'm happy to pay, you know, management fee, which is a pretty reasonable, you know, commoditized kind of business and just be very hands-on with those management companies, but don't have to have the responsibilities of, and we're in so many different markets. It would, it would be a logistic nightmare. I think if potentially we were all in one market, maybe it would be easier to manage, but right now I, we have no intention to, to doing the property management where we are managing some of the mobile home parks though, just because it was tough to find uh, really good management companies in, in different regions and stuff that are local. Uh, a lot of like mom and pops, not like professional, you know, bigger management companies. So we, we are bringing um, some of those in house right now, but um, for the apartments, we're happy to pay the, it's usually two to 3% of the gross revenue for these larger, for these right. larger complexes. So. No, no, it makes sense. It makes sense. I, I, I also have the same mindset. It's like, what do I want to go start, right? Do I want to have the liability of having 30 employees that I've now got to feed, <laughs> you know, go, yeah. get, go, go, get, generate third, uh, third party uh, fees. So um, any other businesses, are you sourcing any more stuff from China because of, of your experience with the leather jacket industry? Yeah, and we're the- going to start, we are doing some ground up development and we, my dad goes to China every like three, four months for, for business. And we are going to start looking at maybe some, you know, the materials for other development. Uh, project from China. Um, we started a separate business completely. It's a financial services business called Demuso, and we are uh, actively displacing all the like legacy payment providers on these properties. So it's a completely different business, and it has a lot of the same investors and shareholders and stuff. But it's um, it's called Demuso, D-O-M-U-S-O. You can check it out online. Um, it's a web app, and we have right now. You know, we're we're, we're processing, I think around 30 plus million dollars a month in total payments. Um, those are rent payments, any payment due to landlord and we will finance any payment due to landlord, which is really unique. Um, and we're eliminating, uh, all cashier's checks and money orders. And we have guaranteed, uh, funds, um, certified funds to the property, just a lot of innovation. And we have a lot of future innovation down the pipeline, um, all revolved around the payment of rent, which is very, very archaic and has been very inflexible, uh, forever. So, uh, we fought, we, it's a huge, you know, 550 billion or whatever is paid in rent every year. And we're, um, you know, really growing our, our goals to be standard industry standard for, for the way rent is paid and, and, um, the process. And we're, we're working with a lot of large management companies right now. And that company is based in Santa Monica and, you know, it's its own separate animal, but, uh, we're growing and scaling that one really quickly. So I'm excited. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I remember when I first moved to the United States, my first ever paycheck was literally a paycheck. And I was like, yeah. what the hell am I supposed to do with this? Like <laughs> I, coming from Australia, I love America, but, and you guys are the, you know, the capital Kings of the world, but you're yeah. dealing in checks. And I'm like, come on guys, no one's dealt in checks since the mid nineties. Like get out, let's get out of this archaic system. We're, I, a, little, I, little, back, we're a little backwards. <laughs> I, I think most people that I know that have a checkbook, the only check they write is for rent. So right. exactly. um, yeah, we're bringing that all online into the new age. And uh, so, so that I'm excited about that. And um, other profit centers, not, not really just really taking care of the buildings we have. And, you know, we, we, we charge asset management fees, um, right. charge an acquisition fee. The, the big money comes on the promote once we sell the building. Um, we also have a, a cash flow split, which is cool. We implemented anything above the pref, uh, preferred return to the investor, we split also. So we share 50-50 in that. So that helps us, right. enables us to have good cash flow if we're, you know, doing well and wanting to hold the properties for, for the long term, which aligns us with the investors really well. And as you've grown, I'm sure your, your structure with your investors has changed over a period of time because you've, you've got more skins on the wall, right? So you said you said 50-50 after the pref. That's, that's really quite handsome to the GP. Was it always 50-50? No, um, we've, we've changed our structure one, two, this is the third time. And just from learning from other 
mentors and, you know, the first two deals we did, we had a preferred rate of return of either seven or eight back then. Now they're down to six and seven. Mm -hmm. Um, And then anything above the pref, we would use that money to pay down their capital. Um, And then once we sold the building, whatever is left on the pay down, they get first. And then it was a 60, 40 split. Um, And then we did that two times. And then for the next like 10 deals, we did no preferred return and every dollar went to pay them down, pay, pay them down. So after let's say five years, they got maybe if it averaged 10%, so 50% of their money back the upon sale, the investor would get the next 50% and then every additional dollar would be split 75, 25. So to you or to them? Yeah. 75 to them, 25 to us. So, wow. um, yeah, that one at the, at the end of the day, it all works out about the same. And then, and then the, the most current ones, like I said, a six or seven pref, um, you know, 50, 50 above the pref on cash flow only. And then, uh, 70, 30 on the back end once we sell a building, once they get their money back. So. And, you know, for all those listeners listening out there, I, I guess the takeaway from that is you, you did whatever the deal structure you needed to do to get the deal done, right, with your investors. Exactly. And, I, you know, it's, it's, um, it's tough to change the structure. So we're probably not going to change anymore. And, but I'd say you got to make them happy and make it a little more investor friendly in the beginning, I, I think, and develop that track record. And, but at the same time, it's, it's tough to change. So the investors might get used to whatever way you're doing right. it. Right. So, uh, I could also imagine by changing it these different ways also changes the returns to the investors, right? If you're changing from a payback yeah. of investment and then 75, 25 is going to be different IRR if you do it, you know, pref return and split 50, 50 thereafter, right? Yeah, totally. So you got to just succeed the deal. And sometimes it's deal by deal, you know, it can be a different model and stuff. So. Cool. All right, mate. Well, look, let's, um, we're going to come towards the end of the show, but I do want to get your thoughts before we do come towards the end of the show with, where, you know, what's happening, what are your thoughts on the market, where are we headed, uh, and, and, you know, the, the R word. Is it coming? You know, how are you protecting yourself against it, and what can people do to look out for it if something is coming around the corner? Yeah, I'm, I'm you know, seeing a lot of deals that are getting crazy bid up, and um, we just want no part of that in these auctions, and it's tough. Um, we're staying disciplined and you know, that's why we started buying other asset classes so we can still buy things and you know, but we're buying, I'd say a few less deals, but every year we've been buying bigger and bigger deals. It takes the same amount of time and energy to buy a, you know, 500 unit building as a 15 unit building and <laughs> we can make more money on the big ones. So right, right. And usually there's less competition. So I'd say that's, that's always been, you know, you know, key to our, our growth is buying bigger and bigger and really stretching you know, um, that and, uh, all the recession. Yeah. I'd say just keep doing what we're doing in terms of like raising a lot of extra money for our slush fund for each property, you know, long-term fixed rate debt, just being, you know, not over leveraged, just being conservative. What, what type of, um, percentage points if you do for, for a slush fund do you raise? Um, depends on the deal. depends on the, the vintage, how old the building is. Um, I'd say usually two, three, four thousand $4,000 per unit on average then up to and um that's great that's a good that's a good, that's a good little and, and that gets paid back to investors if you don't use it throughout the deal yeah yeah if we, if we, we can do a one-time special distribution i mean the sucky part is we're, we're we have to pay a pref on it but i'd rather you know have it than have to call it when more money yeah no, hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, mate, um, it's been absolutely incredible talking to you about raising your your profile and raising your business to over a billion dollars in assets. It's absolutely huge and, and well done. Um, but but I want to you know ask before we get into the lightning round, 
what's your number one piece of advice for someone sitting out there who wants to become a syndicator, who wants to get involved in the multifamily space or, or any in commercial space? What's your, what's your number one piece of advice for them? Um, I'd say the hardest part is getting started. Um, try to find a, we call them the gray hair, you know, someone that has the experience, um, a mentor, someone to partner with that believes in you and you could bring the youth and energy. And, um, you know, this is for the, the younger folk out there. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think because we didn't have the experience, but we had that youth and energy and new ideas. And, you know, um, we partnered with, with the gray hairs and that really helped us with our growth. Um, and then, uh, I'd say another thing is that this, this business is not for everyone. Uh, you could be happy, you know, if you're happy with your job and making good money, it's good to invest with a group like ours or yourself to, to really diversify. And, and it's just really passive. The investors get quarterly distributions and, you know, majority of the upside. And then it, it's just a great way to diversify and, you know, put a few bucks in a lot of the deals rather than owning one little small building yourself or two small buildings or whatever. So um, I'd say getting started is the hardest part, but the most important and, you know, make, try to make sure that first deal is a successful one. Um, we, we have had one of our fourplexes, uh, like I think we sold at a loss and then we came out of our own pocket and paid that investor back, uh, just to make them whole. So reputation's extremely important. And we, we want to say we've never lost anyone money and we haven't lost anyone money. So great. That's, that's, a, awesome important that's, one. A, that's a fantastic piece of advice, uh, for anyone out there listening who is wanting to get involved. And, and I know Keith will get your, uh, your, your contact details at the end of the show, but mate, uh, I do like to ask my guests to give me the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Let's do it. Mate, what is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Daily habit, I'd say I, I usually, um, when I get in, I walk around the office and just talk to everyone, see what everyone's up to, uh, make sure we're advancing the ball down the field and making progress. Um, I also have a task list with the most pressing important ones at the top. And um, I review that every day. And then just getting back to people in a timely manner, um, you know, and um, I'd say just to continue to grow our business. I really started, when I started, we were doing everything. Now we're compartmentalized. I'm really focused on being the chairman and really seeing the, you know, the, the, the vision and direction our company's going and overseeing, you know, the, the personnel and um, not fo as focused on the individual acquisitions or, you know, just really big picture thinking. And I, we have a great team that can implement our strategy. That's, that's, that. I think that's incredible. Do you use any particular, are you a note taker or you're a digital type of guy that takes uh, to-do lists down? All digital to-do lists. Um, we use Slack in the office. So we have around uh, 18, 19 employees. We're all on Slack communicating with each other, which is great. Um, for our investors, we use IMS, which has uh, been great for reporting to all the investors and it's all brought us online and reduced the amount of time that the um, our accountants used to cut you know, a thousand checks a quarter. Now it's very few people are in check. It's all ACH and much right. easier for them. And they could get the investors could get their K ones and all the reports and online. And so that's been really integral. And yeah, we're always looking at new technologies to implement. And stuff. Awesome. Awesome. Who's been the uh, most influential person in your career to date? Most influential, I'd say it's a tie between my dad and my wife, I'd say. So without my dad, I wouldn't, um, have that entrepreneurial spirit and fire and without his support, I wouldn't be able to get to where I was because as a 24 year old, when I started, I didn't have the financial statement to get on these loans and he really 
believed in me. He put a few bucks in our early deals and just helped us grow with his network and his resources. And, and you know, I love him for that. And he's been always a role model, a mentor. And then my wife, because um, she's pushed me ever since day one, when I met her, I had one fourplex or not even maybe. <laughs> and, you know, she has always pushed me to be a better person and to really, you know, help me on some of these big decisions. I, I talk through things with her and stuff. And, um, and then also my, my cousin and business partner, Damien has been make, made some great decisions along the path. And his father also helped us really learn how to handle all the construction on the projects and oversee the different capital you know projects. So, uh, it's been a lot of people, but, uh, I'd say Damien, my dad and my wife, like the three of us. Nice, man. Awesome stuff. If they're listening, uh, he's your key's most influential person in his career to date. What has been, what is the most influential tool and the tool in your business that helps move that, you know, ball down the field, whether it be physical, a hardware or a software that that you use? Um, I say personal relationships. So, you know, over, over any hardware and software, just being in person, taking the brokers to lunch, meeting other sellers, just being in the business. People know we're active. I want to be in top, top of mind, top of sight, you know, kind of thing. And um, just pounding the pavement. Awesome Awesome stuff. What's been the biggest failure in your career to date? What'd you learn from that failure? Biggest failure, probably maybe in the way beginning, you know, not having partners that are aligned with you and have the same vision could be one. Um, you know, partnership is like a marriage and you really have to spend a lot of time and know, you know, who you're, you're partnering with. And we, we learned a great deal from one of our earlier partners, but just wasn't a good mesh. We were buddy heads a lot. And, um, but we wish them well and, and they're doing really well and stuff, which is great. Um, another thing, um, failure. I mean, financially, we, we, we lost money on one deal, but we came out of our pocket to pay that person. Um, other failures, I'd say, Communication, maybe around the office. <laughs> That's always where things get lost in translation. Always, so if you have an issue with someone, go directly to them instead of to someone else. You know, it just festers and makes it worse. So just open direct communication with people um, is most important. I'm going to throw in another question before that. My last question, because I, I'm very intrigued by the fact that you've grown to 18, 19, 20 employees. Has the infrastructure in your business and your leadership changed at all? Um, growing, yeah. going from, from nothing, from you and your cousin and your dad, and yeah. it sounds like your wife, to, to 19 employees. I'm sure there's been growing pains in that. Do you want to just talk uh, briefly to that? A lot of growing pains. Um, yeah, we started, my cousin and I, out of my parents' library, we were, we were working. My, 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 my cousin lived above the garage and lived in my bedroom at home. So we all, you know, I was saving a lot of money living at home. And, um, and then we moved into a small office that was me, my cousin, and one of the, another younger gentleman. And, and then, yeah, we just, the, the most last two, three years have been some growing pains just because we've scaled so quickly in terms of headcount. Um, we have like five people in accounting and we have, you know, two people now in acquisitions and two people in asset management and, you know, just a COO, a CFO, um, you know, some intern, we have six interns now to like every day they rotate and yeah, just having, you know, the C- our CFO plays like an HR role, which we never really had before. I sort of ran the company. It's still like a family vibe and family run and, you know, but got to have some procedures and process in place and 
but it's been great. We have like a corporate retreat coming up uh, Monday through Thursday, which I'm really excited about with some team, team building stuff. And uh, this, that's our second corporate retreat, you know, so we're doing that every year now. Um, just really, awesome. yeah, just, that's awesome. That's it. I think, I think it's, you know, I can just hear you and I, I can hear in your voice that you're, you've had to grow, right? Because sometimes investors, as you grow towards a billion dollars, you know, like even a half a billion dollars, even a hundred million dollars in assets, like, Investors like to see titles like CFO and HR and acquisition manager and stuff like that, not just Keith Weserman and his, and his cousin doing everything and anything. And I'm sure you had to do it for, for many, many years before you got yeah. that scale. We had to do it. We had to learn it. We, you know, we, we just didn't have the resources to pay the people. But as we've scaled, more, more income comes in and those people will help create even more income. And right. you know, we, we, everyone in the company, um, we just implemented where they share in, in the um, in the promote and in the cash flow splits also. And, you know, it's uh, really making everyone a, like a partner. Um, right. And, and I guess it incentivized to make sure that the deal's working and being on top of their game and being the best pe- person they can be for the company, right? Exactly. Yep. Yep. No, I think you, you sounds like you've instilled some fantastic qualities with your company. Obviously you had some growing pains, but that's normal. We're all human, right? So dealing yeah. with people and, and as you said, taking on a property management company would not be something you'd be wanting to do, but, but really awesome stuff, mate. One last question before we get to the final question is where did GELT come from? G-E-L-T. Yeah. So the, the word GELT is a Yiddish word and it means money actually. And hmm. I like the, so my grandma was a Holocaust survivor and I just wanted the Yiddish language is sort of like a dying language. It was spoken right. in the old country in Europe. And I wanted a cool word that like during Hanukkah time, we, we give these like chocolate coins, they call Hanukkah gelt. And it was sort of, it's just a cute Yiddish word. And, you know, I'd say 50% of people know and 50% don't know what it is. But my, my, my wife should know. She's uh she, she's Jewish. So she, uh, ah, okay. yeah. she should know. So, um, uh, but, no, but, but I, but I didn't cause I'm not. <laughs> so, but, um, <laughs> But but I, I wanted to ask, so, so awesome stuff. Mate, where can people reach you? They want to continue the conversation. They want to find out more about your investment opportunities. They just want to like, you know, say g'day. Where, where can they go? Yeah, so the best way to reach me is via email. It's my name, Keith, Keith K-E-I-T-H at geltinc.com. And gelt is G like good, E like elephant, L like Larry, T like Tom, and then I-N-C for incorporated.com. You could also follow me. Um, I just made my... Uh, my Facebook open, my Instagram open, and I'm on active on Twitter also. So nice. uh, find me on any of those mediums. Yeah. You're going to have to get a marketing a- agent person soon. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. <laughs> well, mate, I want to thank you so much for dropping by. Uh, yeah. I just want to quickly summarize some of the things that I took away from today's conversation. I think the big thing is that you, just in what you said in your, in your last uh, sentence was you, you've been scrappy for, for many, many years. You and your cousin had to roll up the sleeves, get involved and do many, wear many, many different hats um, in order to make, you know, to grow. Uh, and that's part of, you know, keep it lean, uh, keep it keep mean, keep it lean uh, in order to get to that point. Now where you're at 19, 20 people where they can all create revenue for your company. And that's how you got to that billion dollars. Um, but also you're, you're, you're talking about living at home with your parents um, and making it work. Uh, the other big thing that I took away from the today's conversation is the first quad, uh, quad, uh, um, quad that you did. You, you, you got you know, advanced lines on credit cards, you borrowed people's money, and that also relates to how you've changed the way in which you structure your deals with your investors. Now, you did anything you could to get the deal done. 
And I think that's really, really important. Um, you're not afraid to roll up the sleeves. And, and I guess that's maybe been the secret sauce in, in terms of, and, and I guess persistence because you wouldn't be here 10 years later and a billion dollars of assets without some sort of persistence and, and, and keep going, that, that mindset to keep going, right? Yep, 100%. Did I leave anything out? No, I think that's it. And uh, I appreciate you having me on the show. And um, let's, uh, if anyone wants to contact me with any questions or concerns or whatever, I'm, I'm available. And um, yeah, this was awesome. Really, thank you. Well, thank you so much, Keith, for dropping by. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up soon. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Another great episode jam-packed with some incredible investing advice and actionable steps. Remember, if you do want to hit up Keith, jump over to my website at readgoosens.com, click on the podcast. All the links to, on today's show will be in the show notes. Make sure you reach out to Keith, uh, you know, pick his brain because he's an absolutely incredible guy. Um, now, make sure, thank you. I want to thank all my loyal listeners for taking some time out of their day to tune in to continue to grow their financial IQ because that's what we're all about on this show. And we're going to do this all again next week. So take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing. Thank you.